How many love Jesus? Shout amen. Yeah. Glory. Hallelujah. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 16. How many of you are willing to take a little journey with me this morning? Three of you. Be right back. How many of you are willing to take a journey with me this morning? Yeah. Amen. This morning I want to talk about one of the greatest gifts God has given to the church. Now when I ask who and what the greatest gift is, everybody says, Jesus. That's what I said to you. Is that my wife? <laughs> everybody says Jesus. And of course we know that Jesus is the greatest gift. But I want to talk about one of the greatest gifts that God gave to the church. Now before I do that, let me lay a little bit of groundwork on where we're headed this morning. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 1 and 8, verse 5, this particular passage of Scripture says that things that happen in the Old Testament are a type and shadow of things yet to come. Talking about now. Now, I, I know, how many of you enjoy the, the New Testament? And all, you know what we do is we spend so much time in the New Testament. Sometimes I've heard people say, man, we don't need the Old Testament. That's the Old Testament. We don't need the Folks, let me tell you, the Old Testament was the foundation because we don't, have an establishment of truth without it. Come on, somebody. And everything that happened in the Old Testament was a type and shadow of what God was coming to pass. How many of us that God never went on plan B? There is no plan B. God knows what he's doing. He knew what he was doing from day one. He set a foundation. Somebody say a foundation. He set a foundation for us to live out something spectacular through the New Testament era. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'm glad that I live in the New Testament era. I'm glad that I didn't show up this morning with a goat. I'm glad that the pastor didn't have to slice its neck and kill it in front of me and take blood and put it on my ear and my thumb and the right toe and then sprinkle it here and sprinkle it. Aren't you glad you didn't bring your goat? Oh. Okay. Hallelujah. I'm also glad I didn't show up in a horse and buggy. I don't know about you, but air conditioning car sounds good to me. I mean, can you imagine if you had to ride a horse and buggy on a day like today? You would have got you got here wet and all kinds of other things. How many glad we have padded pews? Beautiful buildings. So I'm glad that we live in a New Testament era. Can you say that? But we have to understand the importance of the Old Testament because the Old Testament was a foundational stone for what was going to be built on in the New Testament. Can you say that? So here's the deal. In the Old Testament, everything that happened. Was, was in the physical, in the flesh. She was living out in the flesh, in the physical, the plan of God that was going to come to pass. Everything that happens in the New Testament, now we live in what we call the spiritual age. So a lot of those things that we have seen and read about and the stories that happened in the flesh and in the physical are the things that now play out in the spiritual. See, I want to lay a little foundation here this morning because I want to talk about one of the greatest gifts that God gave to the church. Now, if you have your Bibles open, look with me, if you will, at Exodus chapter 17. We're going to read verses 1 through 16 together. Understand that when we read this passage of Scripture, we are reading it from a Western mindset. We're reading it from an American mindset, but you've got to understand that this was not written to Americans, nor by Americans, nor even for Americans. It was written by the Jews and the Jewish culture. The Jews looked at things differently than we do. So what I want to do is I want you to look at it from a Jewish perspective. Because in, in the Jewish realm, every name had meanings. Every place had a significant meaning. Come on, somebody. And I believe that if you would do a little digging, somebody say digging. 
You don't find treasure by walking around and it just happens to sit there. If you want to find treasure, you got to do a little digging. You got to search. You got to do what's necessary to get to pull off and, and get down in there and get the good stuff. That's what I want to do this morning. I want to do a little peeling back. I, I want to dig a little deep and get some of the nuggets that God has found in His Word because I believe these are foundational stones that will bless you this morning. So I'm going to read this from a Jewish perspective. If a Jewish person was reading this in the era in which this was written, they would have a clear understanding about exactly the message that God was trying to speak through it. Are you hearing? Even though this is retelling a story that really happened, everything that happened happened for a reason. Everything that happened happened for a purpose. Everything that happened was prophetic for things to come. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin. The word sin means form and clay. According to the commandment of the Lord, and they camped in a place called Rephidium, which means a resting place. If you got a pen and you're under, if you're willing to write in your Bible, write some of these things up next to those words, Rephidium, resting place, but there was no water for them to drink. Now, how many of you know what's happening here? What's happening is the children of Israel had now been delivered from the bondage of Egypt. 400 years of slavery. How many of us that's a type and shadow of the fact that Jesus Christ has come to save us from our bondage? Come on, somebody. And he wants us to move into a new life, into a promised life. The Bible says in the New Testament, old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So being in Egypt is a type and shadow of being in sin. It's a type of shadow of being in the old life, in the bondage of the old life. And now they're being delivered by the hand of God. He raised up a deliverer. He's leading the children of Israel to their promise. How many knows that sometimes between where you've been and where you're going, you can always have a place that you stop and rest? Or maybe you find a place where you kind of veer off the path. How many knows that the children of Israel did a lot of veering off the path? An 11-day journey took 40 years. Wow. An 11-day journey took 40 years. Why? Because they were wandering in the wilderness. Why were they wandering in the wilderness? Because they questioned God. How many of us ever questioned God? They're continually questioning God. Is this really what? Is this? And we're going to find some of this questioning here right now. Always, listen, it's really easy for us to always question because we don't see exactly where God's taking us. Well, we got to come to a place and just trust Him. Amen? Look at this. Look, look, look what happened. Verse 2, therefore the people continued with Moses and may give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, man, why are you contending with me? Now notice what he said. Why are you tempting the Lord? Remember, Moses was doing a mere assignment. And we know the story of Moses, right? When he was called to do the assignment, he didn't necessarily want to do it, right? He came up with every list of reasons why I can't do it. And God said, hey, listen, dude, it's done decided. It was decided before you were born. It was decided before the foundations of the earth. You're doing, you're doing it now. You're doing it later, but you're doing it. Come on, somebody. So Moses rise up and said, all right, these are your people, and I'm going to do what you've told me to do. So he's on an assignment. The children of Israel, instead of trusting God, as they left that wilderness of sin, come on, somebody, they, they instead of just saying, let's get to the promise, they sit down, they start resting, they look around, there's no water, they start complaining to Moses. And Moses says, hey, listen, dude, I'm just, 
I'm just on assignment. I'm to lead you from here to God has called me for an 11 day journey. Now it's already taking too long because you're having me stop. And they're contending and they are tempting the Lord. Sounds a lot like the church today, doesn't it? And the people thirsted for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why have you brought us out of Egypt to kill us? Our children, our livestock of thirst. So Moses cried out to the Lord. And this is what he said. I love this. Because this is the cry of a lot of pastors right here. <clears throat> Man, what am I going to do with these people? What in the world am I going to do with these people? They're about to stone me. Hello. Now let me ask you a question. If a mailman delivers your mail, and you open it up and you don't like what you find, do you stone the mailman? <laughs> Hello? Do you think, mailman, I just don't understand why my life feels so high. Well, the mailman wouldn't use your electricity. So then what we do, we try to blame the devil. I don't know, gamble. The devil ain't watching your TV. Come on, somebody. Too often times when we are moving from that wilderness of sin, that, that place of the flesh, that place of, of, of bondage, when we are moving into the promised land, too often times when things happen that we don't like, it's easy to point fingers at everybody else. Why'd you bring me out here to kill me? Why am I? You, you, come on. We, we don't got anything to drink. And, and, and so... Moses, who is merely called to do an assignment for an 11-day journey, he goes to God and he said, God, what am I going to do with these people? They're about to stone me. Now the Lord spoke and said, now go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and also take in your hand the rod. This is important. Underline that. Take the rod which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you. And there on the rock of horror, which is Mount Sinai, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. I don't know about you, but if, if I was following somebody, and I was complaining about not being having enough water, and he walked up and smacked the rock and water came out, I don't know about you, but I would be intrigued by that. I don't know about you, but I'd be like, whoa, dude, sweet, what's in that stick? I don't know about you, but I think, I mean, how I many of those hindsight's better than foresight, right? Looking back, I would think, wow, these people should have been, wow, you know what? I don't have anything else to complain about. Let's pick up and finish this 11-day journey. Because my God, God is with us. Come on, somebody. We know that he didn't have power in a stick. We know that he didn't have the power to make water come out of a rock. We know that God is with us. Come on, somebody. We, as the people of God, know. We know that we know that we know that God is for us. But yet we still often point fingers. And when we have issues, come on. It, it happened from day one. Did you eat that fruit? Hey, what me? That's how woman can get me. It's her fault. Did you eat that fruit? Uh uh. Death is fault. What else have we been doing that for you? Every time a situation, a problem, or a circumstance happens, we want to point fingers. And it's always somebody else's fault. Well, you know, I am the way I am because what my mommy did to me when I was 10. Well, she might have had a tough life, but grow up, get over it. God is for you. 
And if God is for you, who can be against you? God wants to take you to a place. But too often, we're looking for a resting place. Let me tell you something. Someone told me one time, you're too busy. Why do you do this? And why? I said, listen, I only get 70 years to serve God. I can, for, you know, when I get to heaven, I got eternity to do what I want. But I only got a short season to do what he wants. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing me? And too often times when we're leaving from where we've been to where God wants to lead us because we all have a promise. Listen, folks, I know for a fact that my grandpappy didn't swing from a tree and eat a banana. I know for a fact that I was created in the very image of God. I know for a fact that I've got a purpose. I know for a fact that God has a plan. I know for a fact that God wants me to go somewhere. Then why am I sitting? Why am I stopping? Why am I resting? Why am I sitting? Come on, somebody. we got to keep pushing forward. But I ain't got no water. Now, God is gracious to us as he was to them. How many of you can say without a shadow of a doubt that you've had miracles happen in your life? You've seen the hand of God work. But yet, down the road, we still complain. But down the road, we still do the same thing. What is the definition of insanity? Doing the same things over and over, expecting some kind of different result. Man, I don't know about you, but listen, I've passed for over 30 years. Most people who go to church are insane. I can't believe you just said that. And there's no other church I'd rather pastor than a Pentecostal church, but I'm telling you, all the fruits, the flakes, and the nuts hang out in Pentecostal churches. You know why? Because they can blend in. It's easier to hide. I'm preaching good. I'm just going to hate me myself. Amen, Pastor Josh. Listen to me. If you truly believe that God has a plan, if you truly believe that God has a purpose, if you truly believe that God has your best interest at heart, then why are you sitting around resting? Now it's about to get good. <clears throat> Verse 7. So Moses called the name of that place Mizpah, which means temptation, and Meribah, which means strife and contention. Let me tell you something. Temptation and strife and tension show up when you're sitting and resting. When you're taking a break from your destiny, when you're taking a break from your purpose, when you're taking a break from the journey, that's when strife shows its ugly head. That's when temptation now catches up with you. Because of the congregation of the children of Israel, because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now look at verse 8. This is where it gets really interesting. Now Amalek, or the Amalekites, the Amalekites were a relative of Esau. How many of you know that Esau and Jacob were brothers? So the Amalekites were flesh and blood relatives of the children of Israel. The Amalekites knew good and well that God had promised them the land of Canaan. Israel was not even in the land of Canaan yet. They, they would have nothing to do with that place where they were at, that befitting, that resting place. They were just sitting down and resting, but they had a place to go, and the Amalekites knew it. They knew that the promise of God was not that they would inhabit that place, but they would inhabit the land of Canaan, but yet the Amalekites did what? They came and they fought with Israel and Rephidim. 
me tell you something, folks. The flesh takes advantage of you when you're sitting down taking a rest. That's when the flesh wants to rear up its own ugly head. When you're just sitting back and complaining and restless and wondering and questioning and what about God or what about this or what? Listen to you. Listen to me, folks. Don't sit there and feel sorry for yourself. You told you talked about Elijah today, and I love Elijah. He, he was a cool guy. But one of one of the stories of Elijah that that I found the most interesting is when he was having a pity party. God, I'm the last one. He's ever felt like he's the last one. I'm the last one. Ain't nobody else. It's just me. Now notice God didn't come down and say, poor little guy. No, you know what God said? Hey, dude, there's 3,000 people who have a powerful soul in the Now I want you to get up. I want you to go and anoint this king. I want you to do this, and I want you to do that. Do what I've already told you to do. Listen, Elijah already knew he was supposed to. That wasn't the first time he heard it. That wasn't the first time that he was known that he had a duty to do. Come on, somebody. God just had to remind him. Quit having a pity party and get busy. Listen, is God with you or not? When you sit down and take a rest from the battle, when you sit down and, and, and you're like, you know what, I'm just going to hang out here a while. You know, I've worked hard for the last year. I've been a Sunday school teacher for 10 years, and now it's time for me to sit down and relax. That's when the flesh shows up. The church I grew up in, the lady who was my Sunday school teacher, is still a Sunday school teacher. She's in her late 60s. And I'm telling you what, that woman has more faith than I've ever, I've ever met in my life. She has more unction and more gumption. And I'm telling you what, she's going to get to heaven. Her crown's going to be so big, it's going to break her neck. <laughs> and somebody asked her one time, how long are you going to do this? And she said, until God takes me home. Listen to me, folks. Well, you know what? I've done this and I've done that. It's a time for me. It's time for them young whippersnappers that come in there and get something done. Listen. God didn't call you to quit. He called you to keep. Listen, he said, occupy till I come. Now, occupy doesn't mean be a professional pew warmer. Listen, if a, being a pew warmer was a job description in the church, most of us would be pros. When God said occupy, he's not talking about just sitting around and just waiting for him to come back. You guys remember some of the, how many of you guys like the old hymns? Four of us. Come on, I know some old folks in here like the old hymns. I like the old hymns. You guys remember this one? Just a few more weary days in the Lord. I'm gonna fly away. Man, I changed the words of that song. It's just a few more happy days in then. Listen, Jesus come to give me life and to give it to the full, to the abundance, to the overflow. Come on, somebody. Well, Christians have made it about heaven someday. Some of you will get that one tomorrow on your way to work. Most Christians have made it about heaven someday. But I'm here to tell you, the Bible says that Jesus came to bring heaven to earth. And he's come to give us life. And to give it to the full, to the abundance, to the overflow. And if you're not walking in that, it's probably because you're sitting back at Rufidium. It's probably because you, you, you have sat down on the job and you've allowed time. Listen, how many times did the children of Israel camp out? And the Bible says that when the, the cloud by day and the fire by night would move, if the children of Israel would not go with them, then they would shed and die. Listen, it took all the old generation to die 
They found their refidium. And then their flesh started defeating them from behind. Come on, somebody. We want to say that the devil is our worst enemy. I'm going to tell you the devil is not your worst enemy because he was defeated at the cross of Calvary. The fangs were taken out. The sword was pulled out of his hand. He has no authority. He has no power. He has no strength. He's got nothing on you as a child of God. The only weapon against you is the one that you allow. And it's your flesh. That's your worst enemy. Too many Christians are sitting in refidium, allowing their flesh to pick them off from behind. And then what we want to do is we want to complain that the problem is because of who our leader is. And our leader's doing prayer walks saying, God, how long do I got to put up with these people? I have told them and told them and told them that you've got a promise, that you've got a plan, that you've got a purpose. I mean, come on, Lord, I've given them everything. And they're still sitting around and wondering, where it's at. Are you hearing it? The Amalekites came and fought with Israel in that resting place. And Moses said to Joshua, now this is, this is, this is one of my favorite parts of the story, not because his name's Joshua, but because who he is. And Moses said to Joshua, choose some men and go out and fight with the flesh. Go ahead and fight Amalekite. Tomorrow I'm going to stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Now listen, folks, let's stop. Let's stop that story because this is an important part of the story. Who was Joshua? This is one of the first times that Joshua's name is mentioned. Let me tell you who Joshua was. Joshua was a professional brickmaker and bricklayer. For the entirety of his life since the time he was a kid, all he was trained to do and all he knew what to do is make bricks and build buildings. That's it. He had never picked up a sword. He had never led an army. Not one time. And he had ever got a group of people together to fight. Listen, they never even tried to fight against Egypt. They just let Egypt do what Egypt was going to do. But Moses found Joshua and said, I want you to gather an army. And I want you to pick up a sword. And I want you to go fight the enemy. Now listen to me. Listen to this carefully. I want you to keep that in your mind. This is not a soldier. This is a bricklayer. This is a construction worker. He does not have the experience of a soldier, but yet he's called on to fight. Keep that in your mind. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him, and he fought with the Malak. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on the hill. And so it was that when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. But when his hands began to fall, Amalek prevailed. But, but Moses' hands became heavy, so he took a stone and put it under him and sat upon it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. And his hands grew steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua, underline that, so Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said to Moses, write for this as a memorial in the book of, and recount in the hearing of Joshua and your people that I will utterly blot out from the, I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek, which means the flesh, from under heaven. Moses built an altar and he called its place Yawat Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. For he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war. Listen, the Lord will have war. The Lord will have war against the flesh, Amalek, from generation to generation. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the 
for the willingness of the Holy Spirit to quicken our hearts to hear what you need us to hear. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would communicate to your people this morning and encourage their heart, convict their soul. But Lord, more than anything else, let us know that when we leave this place, we've heard from heaven. In your precious name, everybody said, Amen. Temptation and strife are a result of stopping to take a rest when you're walking away from sin and heading towards your promised destiny. We can never, ever, ever stop. It's, it, listen, I don't care how old you are. We've got some white hair in here and we've got some white thereof. Come on, somebody. My dad used to always say, God knows how many hairs are on your head. I said, you better, I, I told my dad, I said, Dad, he's got a big eraser too. He says, what do you mean? I said, you lost so much, he's going to have to erase that number on a daily basis. Come on, somebody. I see some people in here who've been in the church quite a long time. And sometimes you think that your, your days have passed you by. Listen to me, folks. If God's only goal was to get you to heaven, then the day you got saved, a big curvy vacuum cleaner would have sucked you up there. God has a purpose, and he has a plan, and he has a destiny for everyone else. If you're still here, he's not done. I'm going to have to say that one again, because I didn't hear enough amens on that. I'm going to have to go down to Detroit and bust them in here. If you're still here, God has a plan. If you're still here, God's not done. If you're wondering where God's at, if you feel like you're dying of thirst, if you're wondering all these things, maybe it's because you've sat down and took a rest way too long. And God is saying, keep moving forward because I've got a plan, I've got a destiny, I've got a purpose. Come on, somebody say amen. Secondly, write this down. This is important. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. The Apostle Paul said these words, not that I've already obtained, nor am I already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to apprehend it, but one thing I do, forget those things which are behind me reaching forward, those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ. Therefore, let, it, let us, as many as are mature, have this same mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already obtained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Now, we love that scripture when things go wrong. Well, let's forget those things are behind. Well, let me tell you something. Paul had more letters at the end of his name than, than just about anybody alive. He had the right training. He was born in the right family. He had every, everything, quote, unquote, going for him. And let me tell you something. Paul said, I've got to forget what's behind me. Because, folks, you know, we, we, we always want to say we want to forget the bad stuff. Paul said, I've got to forget the good stuff, too. How many of you, when you drove in this morning, had a rearview mirror in your car? Well, let me tell you, don't drive through the rearview mirror. So many people want to live their lives through the rear view mirror. Oh, man, I'll tell you what, Pastor. Back in 1942, I'll tell you what I did for God. Let me tell you, I did this, and I did that, and I did this, and I did that, and I did And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, my God, it's like 50 years later. Everybody that you did something with in 1942, they're gone, brother. I had some lady tell me one day, I, started, I planted my first church at 19, man, and I'm just, I'm just, Preaching the 
Lord Jesus, and this lady come up, she says, I want you to know, young man, I've been in the way for 40 years. And I said, well, you're still in the way. How about get out of the way and let God have his way? Come on. I led worship one Sunday morning, and at the end, I was shaking everybody's hand. Some old codger come by and said, I didn't like that song. I said, that's okay, it wasn't for you. And he loved it. Well, how do you know he loved it? Come on, how many knows when you have little Johnny at two years old sing? He can't carry a tune in a bucket, but to mom and dad, he sounds like an opera star. Are you hearing me? That's why God says make a joyful noise. For some of us, that's all it is is a noise. But to him, it's joyful. Are you hearing that? God would rather hear something come out of your mouth than nothing. I can't sing. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. I'm going to sit down here and pop myself down the rail. Then you wonder why you're getting picked apart from behind. You wonder why the flesh is taking advantage of you. Let me tell you something, folks. The whole reason, now let's flip over to the New Testament. You remember the armament that God gave us? If you know anything about the armament in Ephesians chapter 6, there was nothing for the behind. Purposefully, the Roman soldiers were not allowed to have armament behind them. Why? Because retreat was not an option. Some of us were walking around with arrows hanging out of our butt, and we wonder where God was at. He's pushing forward, we're running backwards. Are you hearing me? Some of you walking around, you got so many arrows in your tail and you're hurting and you're wondering where God, God's up there fighting the battle. God is up there leading the charge. It's time to put our clothes to the flint wheel and say, I'm not going to rest anymore. I'm not going to let the flesh pick me off anymore. I'm going forward because if God is for me, who can be against me? We've got to walk forward. Secondly, Staying at rest too long brings about our number one and, 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 and our most persistent enemy, and I've said it before, it's the flesh. The New Testament counterpart to that is in Galatians 5 where it says walk in the spirit and you're not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another so that you do the things that you do not wish. Are you hearing me? Number three. Let's talk about how you win the battle. I love this. Number one, Joshua, a professional brick mason, was asked to lead a battle. Yet he had never been a soldier. What prepared him for it? Faithfulness will prepare you for your next assignment. It's not what you have. It's where you've been faithful that will lead you to your next destiny of victory. So listen to me, folks. Remember when God asked Moses to lead these people? And Moses complained and said, hey, I, I don't got this, I don't got that. I, 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 I can't even talk right now. And then God spoke to Moses and said, what's in your hand? He said, man, all I got is a shepherd's staff because I've been a shepherd for, for, for 80 years, 40 some years. That's all I got. Let me tell you something. What you have in your hand is not all you have. It's all you need if God is on your side. God can use what you think you don't have to bring victory to the people around you. Are you hearing me? I don't have anything. But listen, all he had was a stick. And God said, I can use that. 
Remember the little persistent widow when they came up and said, and Elisha said, hey, feed me. She goes, I don't have enough to feed you. All I got is this little bit of oil that's going to feed me and my family. We're going to eat our last meal and then we're going to die. And listen, he looked at him and says, that's not all you have. That's all you need. Now go cook me something. If that lady would have refused, her, her and her family would have died. But yet she honored the Lord and she took that oil and the oil never ran dry. Are you hearing me? The reason why we're sitting around with no oil is because we're not willing to use what little we think we have because we think that's all I've got. It's mine. Are you hearing me? Faithfulness prepares you for your next assignment. My dad was my pastor. And my dad had more authority than more normal pastors. He had a belt around his waist, and that was some authority. You're talking about being, being you know, spiritually spanked. I actually got spanked in church. I remember one Wednesday night, my dad's up there just to preaching his heart out, and I'm up there talking. He looked at me and said, son, you get up here and you sit on the front row or on the, on the stage. So I sat on the stage. He goes right back to preaching. True story. I looked, and everybody's looking at me. Oh my sweet, look at all these ideas. I'm over there. So you know what I did? I was like, I pulled my shirt out and I started waving my belly around. And everybody starts laughing. And my dad realized it wasn't his sermon. He turned around and folks listened without even missing a beat. He sat down the microphone. He yanked me up. He jerked off his belt. He wore out my tail, and he set me back down on that front row, and he picked up that microphone. You can hear a bed drop. Man, I'm telling you what, everybody started. I'm taking notes. <laughs> my dad has some authority in my life as my pastor, and let me tell you the greatest lesson he taught me. His son, be faithful in the little things, and God will make you ruler over more. Listen, I am not where I'm at because what I've got. I'm at where I'm at because what I've done. Come on, somebody. I've been faithful in those little things, and God will see me through tomorrow. Come on, somebody. Faithfulness. This man was not a soldier. He never led an army. He never lifted a sword, but yet the victory was in one. Secondly, number one, he was faithful. Number two, Joshua and his men engaged the enemy. You're not gonna you're not gonna win if you're not willing to engage. You're not gonna win if you're not willing to engage. If you're not willing to push forward, you're never gonna win this thing. Number three, battles never won alone. I want you to look at this story because I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna try to wrap this message up here in the next few moments. I want you to hear this. Joshua's asked to lead an army, he's never done it. He gathers guys together. He says, guys, Amalek is picking off the weak and the weary and the old. He's picking them off from behind. They're not, it's not, a, it's not a, a, an army that we see. It's an army that's doing some guerrilla warfare behind us. We've got to go and we've got to fight. And he mustered a group of men who went out to fight. And when they started, listen, listen to the story. When they started fighting, they started prevailing. And the enemy was losing and they were winning. I mean, can you see Joshua like, whoa, this is not as hard as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, this is tough. Then all of a sudden, in the middle of that battle, the enemy started advancing. And Joshua's like, what's going on? What's going on? And he looks up and he sees. Listen, Moses had said, I'm going to stand on this mountain and I'm going to hold up the rock. 
And all of a sudden he sees the rod is beginning to fall. And when the rod begins to fall, the battle starts turning. The tides are turning. The enemy starts taking advantage. People are really dying. And at that moment, Moses, or excuse me, Joshua and the leaders next to Moses recognized and realized that that weight was too much for one man to handle. So they brought Aaron and her to help support. And all of a sudden, now when the rod of God was being lifted again, the battle was being won. So Joshua understood. My faithfulness prepared me for where I'm at. My willingness to engage sees me into this battle. But whether I win or not is not up to what I do, but who is lifted up. Are you hearing me, somebody? We teach you a lesson this morning. It took the man of God, Moses, the chosen leader, to uphold the rod. No one else could have held that rod. If they did, it would not have had the same effect. It would have been powerless. Just like when David was asked to put on Saul's armament, it wouldn't fit and it wouldn't work. No one could have held that rod up except the man of God who was chosen for that assignment. And listen, Joshua recognized that upholding the rod was more imperative for their victory than even the fighting of the battle. Because spiritual authority holds a heavier weight. Listen, the rod of God represented the authority of God, spiritual authority. And it's what we call today the anointing. So Moses' responsibility was not to fight in the battlefield. His responsibility was to lift up the rod, lift up the anointing. The anointing could not have been lifted by someone else because it wasn't their assignment. Are you hearing me? See, when God looked at Moses, he said, what's in your hand? Well, all I got is a rod. That's all you need. I'm going to use that. And that rod came to represent the authority of God and the anointing of God. Now, folks, let me tell you, if you know anything about Old Testament history, no one else carried a rod after that. Why? Because God uses what people have. Are you hearing me? And it might be different than what somebody else has. Are you hearing me? But Joshua understood that the, the winning the battle only happens when the man of God is able to hold that authority up. And listen, he also learned this. That holding up the rod of God was a heavy weight of responsibility. Now some of you know, some of you might not, but you know who Aaron was? That was Moses' brother. Aaron went on to raise up the, the Levite tribe, the tribe of priests. And the New Testament equation of that is he was head of the eldership of the church. Aaron represented the elders. Her went on to build the tabernacle. He represents the New Testament era what deacons are today. So when the man of God's, the authority, the rod, the, the anointing was too heavy to handle. Listen, it's always too heavy for one man to handle. And when his hands grew weary, it took the elders and the deacons to come alongside and say, Hey, let's put a foundation under you, a rock, which always represents Jesus. But yet let us help hold up your hands. And when Joshua saw that the man of God was being supported by the elders and the deacons and the rock was staying in the air, they won a victory that they listened to me. Why did they win the victory? It wasn't because of who Joshua and the men were. It wasn't because of their military prowess. It was because they were faithful. They were willing to engage. And they allowed the man of God to keep the rod in the air. 
Are you hearing me? It took others to help uphold that rod. The Bible says in verse 13, I love this. Then Joshua, who got credit for the win? Then Joshua defeated the enemy. To everyone, it was Joshua that defeated. However, how many knows that if the man of God would not have been up there holding that rod up, the battle would have been lost. So it's easy for us to say it. In, in the flesh, we saw a man holding the sword and winning the battle. Or hearing somebody. But understand that behind the scenes, something was going on. God was at work. Let me tell you, if God is for you, who can be against you? Verse 14. God said, I want you to build a memorial. And I want you to remind people that this is how the flesh, this is how the battle of the flesh is won. They, you know those kids gave a perfect segue into my son. What is Pastor Dave? I got to tell you one time, he goes, we only work on it, son. Son, you come out and hang out with me. Your, your, your tongue's will be panting after about three hours. I'm like an energizer bunny, and I don't quit. I had a young man who wanted to be a preacher, and he said, hey, I'll, you know, at school, we, we have a week, a week, that we're allowed to job shadow someone. Can I job shadow you? I said, absolutely. Come on. He thought he was only going to have to hang out on Sunday and Wednesday. He hung out with me, and he had to, at the end of the week, he said, man, I'm rethinking this pastor thing. My God have mercy. How do you do that? Are you hearing me? And I want you to know that if you want to win the victory of the flesh, your greatest enemy, your greatest enemy is not the devil. Quit saying he is because he was defeated 2,000 years ago. He has no authority in your life. The only thing the devil could do is roar real loud and get you to believe him. Are you hearing me? His, his only weapon against you is deception. Don't let him do it. Listen to me. I read the back of the book. We witnessed him. So why are we worried? Why are we fearful? Understand that if you want to win the battle of your flesh, here's how it's going to happen. You've got to be faithful. Because God can't give you the next assignment until you've been faithful in the previous one. Listen to me. You will never move past the last step of disobedience. Are you hearing me? Amen. You will never. If you say, man, I haven't moved in years. I don't know why I'm out stagnant. I feel like you need to turn around and figure out where you've been disobedient. Don't make it right. Because when you're faithful over little things, God will make you rule over more. So you want to know how you win your victory? You win your victory over your flesh, your greatest enemy. By number one, being faithful. Number two, willingness to engage. Willingness to move forward. Are you hearing me? And thirdly, by supporting the man of God in your life. Let me tell you something, folks. As much as I love Jesus... He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Are you hearing me? As much as I love the Lord, He's interceding on my behalf at the right hand of the Father. But He has given me a gift. He's given me a man on assignment to lead me from my wilderness of sin and bondage to my destiny, my victory. Come on, somebody, my promised land. And I'm not going to get to where God needs me to be if I'm not willing to be faithful, if I'm not willing to engage, and I'm not willing to support the man of God placed in my life. Are you hearing me, somebody? 
Verse 15. They call that place Yahweh Nasi, which means the Lord is my banner. It literally means this. God is my victory. Somebody say victory. Now I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm going to, this, this, this is going to be the conclusion part of my message. And of course, in Pentecostalism, that really doesn't mean a whole lot. But this is, see, what I want to do is, is remember we talked about in Hebrews chapter 8 and 10 that everything that happened in the Old Testament was a type and shadow of things to come. In the Old Testament, things happened in the physical, which were a demonstration and prophetic for things that are going to happen later in the spiritual. So now, we, let's flip over to the spiritual age of things, the age in which we live in. So let's, let's turn with me to the book of Ephesians this morning. And I want to I read Ephesians chapter 4. So let's turn there together. Ephesians chapter 4. <coughs> and if you got a pen and paper, I want you to underline a few things. Remember, the title of my message is, One of the Greatest Gifts Given to the Church. You're the church. So you can really title the message, one of the greatest gifts God gave to me, okay? One of the greatest gifts God gave to me is you're the church, right? Ephesians chapter 4, let's look at verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given. Aren't you glad that you got grace? Grace means unmerited favor. It means a gift that was undeserving. But to each, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Somebody said Christ's gift. Let's talk about that gift that was given. Now, verse 8 really begins to describe the price that Jesus paid to give us that gift. Verse 11. Verse 7. Grace has been given to us according to the gift of Christ to us. Verses 8, 9, and, and 10 is the price he paid to bring it about. Verse 11. And he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Are you hearing me, somebody? You know, I've never read that that way before. It's about time you do now. To each one of us, grace was given according to his gift to us. 8, 9, and 10 is the price he paid to bring it about. Verse 11, he describes what those gifts are. Notice one of them is pastor. Verse 12 tells us the purpose in which the gift was given. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry and for the edifying the body of Christ. Two words there that we, in, that we read in English. Remember, this was not written to Americans. It was not written from a Western point of view. This was written by Jews, for Jews, and to Jews. Are you here? So Jewish people know exactly what those two words mean. We look at those words to mean one thing. Equip and edify. Equip is simple. It means to give what's needed. Somebody say give what's needed. To give what's needed. You know what? Unfortunately, too many pastors don't give what's needed. If all you do is feel good when you come to church, the pastor's not giving you what's needed. One of the greatest compliments I ever got is when this guy looked at me and says, I can't stand it. I said, really? He says, yeah. Every time I come, it's just, you know, you're stepping all over my toes. Man, I said, hallelujah! He thought he was putting me down. He put me down. That's a compliment. That means I'm giving you what's needed. That means you need more than a high five. You need a kick in the pants. Come on, somebody. 
Most pastors are really mad, maybe, maybe and want to tell people what they want to hear. I don't listen. I need to hear what I need to hear. Amen. Not what, listen, the Bible says in the last days they're going to heap up for themselves teachers. They're going to say what they want to hear. They're going to be turned aside from the truth and be turned and say, listen to me. I don't need somebody to tickle my ears. I need somebody to tell me the truth. I need them to give me what's needed and when it's needed and how it's needed. If I need a rebuke, then by God, give me a rebuke. All we want is a high five. You know what? See, I can go home and they can't vote me out. So I'm going to say things that you wish you could, but you can't. You know what one of my pet peeves was as a pastor? When people come to church and they come up to me and says, I'm here today, Pastor. Like they did me a favor. Are you kidding me? You're not doing me a favor by being here. Hello. Had some lady tell me one time, Pastor, how much money do you make? Sure, she asked me. You want to ask her? How much do you make? Well, that's just not your business. I said, well, then it's none of your business how much money I make. She goes, oh, yes, it is. I said, what makes you think that? She goes, I pay your paycheck. I said, you do? She said, yeah. I said, leave the church and I still get paid. Do you pay my paycheck? <laughs> Somebody said, how did you have a church like that? Let me tell you something. People want to hear truth. Are you hearing me? And I looked at her and I said, ma'am, I could care less whether you know how much money I make or not. But you need to learn a lesson. You don't pay me nothing. I work for God. I'm not here to please you. I'm not here to please Brother Blowfish and Sister Sourpuss. I'm here to please God. And if you don't like it, that's not my fault. I've got a, listen, I've got a destiny. I've got a purpose. I've got a plan. Because God said I want you to move them from here to there. And if you want to camp, if you want to sit in a medium, if you want to sit around and complain, that's really not my problem. My problem is getting you from where you need to be to where you need to go. That's giving that woman what she needed. Sometimes you've got pastors on the other end of the spectrum. All they want to do is preach hellfire and brimstone. The world's terrible. So, so we got pastors who are not willing to say truth because they don't want to hurt feelings. But then we have pastors on the other side who that's all they want to do. Are you hearing it? I mean, it's got to be a good balance. Equipping is giving what's needed. Sometimes your congregation needs to be encouraged, but sometimes they need to be convicted, and that's okay. Now, the second word is where we get confused. Because in the English language, when I tell you that I want to edify you, that, that, that means that I want to make you feel good. But the word edify there is actually a Greek word that doctors use when performing a surgical procedure. It's the word that's used when a bone is broken and somebody puts it back in place. How many has ever broken a bone before? Breaking bones hurt. Well, let me tell you what hurts worse. I broke my ankle. And I got there and they said, oh, that thing's out of place. We're going to fix that. I'm like, what are you going to do? <laughs> ah! Man, that hurt worse than the original break. That was awful. Man, I want, listen, I wanted to lay hands on that man suddenly. <laughs> But I would never have been able to walk right if they weren't willing to set that bone. Come on, somebody. You know that's good preaching. So God gave you 
and you, and you, and you, and you. One of the greatest gifts that God gave to you, a gift that he went and died for, was to give you a spiritual leader, a pastor, which means a spiritual shepherd. That's his gift to you. And he has, he has given him two very important assignments. He says, give them what they need and put them in place when they're out of place. And then he talks about what happens when a pastor does those two things. Look at it. I love it. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Listen to this. Till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to be a perfect man to the measure of the stature of Christ, that we should no longer be children that are tossed to and fro and carried away with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of evil. Now, for those of you that just are King Jimmy folks, I like King Jimmy. I think it's funny when people pray to King James. Father, we're children of heaven. King James, it says, he gave you those two gifts so you can grow up. There's some things I don't like about King James. We don't use the these and the thous and the thuses. You know, our language don't like that anymore. But boy, I sure like that part. So you can grow up. Are you hearing me? Well, what is that pastor going to tell me? I've been a seat longer than he's been Listen, it's not the man, but the man is upholding the rod that you can't hold because it's not your assignment. Are you hearing me? And if he is not able to keep that up, if you keep pulling his arms down, you're going to find yourself defeated in your resting place and your flesh taking advantage of your life. You wonder why your life's all messed up? It's because you've not tapped into the gift that God gave. Listen to me. Thank God for Jesus. But he did what he's going to do, and it's done. Now, he's sitting up praying that you will allow the gift he released and gave to you on this earth is going to be utilized to see you from your wilderness of sin to your place of victory. Come on, somebody. That's good preaching. I want to end with one last scripture. One last scripture. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Listen, did, did, did you hear that? Listen to this. How is, how is it going to be unprofitable? Obey those who rule over you. Be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who have to give an account to God. Let them do so with joy and not grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. It doesn't hurt me when you're disobedient. <laughs> Hurting you. Are you here? Stand your feet with me. One of the things I like about being a pastor is the fact that I can take these good spiritual truths and this, 
these finding nuggets and diamonds and, and all these great things. I, I can spread it out over weeks and you know get it in little by little. But when 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 you're when you're a traveling preacher like me, you just got to show up and blow up. So you got to just give it when you can get it, right? So I know we went over the time that you're normally allotted, and some of you are thinking, "Thank God that guy don't preach to us every week." He wear me out. I had one old lady tell me a few weeks ago, she said, man, you just make me tired watching you. Two weeks ago, I had the blessing, the honor, and the privilege of being at Rehoboth Open Bible Church in Brooklyn, New York. My wife and I were the only white folk there. Serious. But I felt so at home. We had a great service on Sunday morning. And then they announced... We're having a special service at 5.30. They don't have Sunday night services. We're having a special service at 5.30 for pastor appreciation. Now listen, guys. I'm 47. Same age as your pastor. I know I look younger, but I'm 47. <laughs> and I don't dye my hair. No gray. My daddy told me one day, I'm 67 years old, son. I ain't got one gray hair. And I said, Dad, all the ones that would have been gray left the building a long time ago. I've been in church my entire life. I've sat through many pastor appreciation services. I've seen churches do a lot of things. The, the, the church I started in Winchester, Indiana, was a gracious church. They did a lot of great things for me over the years. And I want to be honest with you. I literally cried at 5.30, and a Sunday, a special service just for pastor appreciation. Most churches put a box in the back, take a special offer, and those things are cool. But this church had a special service just for pastor appreciation. It lasted three and a half hours. And some of you are thinking, oh my God, thank God I don't know how to church there. This church had a dance crew. The church was packed. And they had a dance crew that led the pastor and his wife down red carpet. I got it on video. And they marched them up front and they had these, this king and queen chair. And they sat there, and for three and a half hours, I was mesmerized by the children, the young adults, the older adults. I mean, one after I had never seen honor like that. And I looked over at my wife. This church is about ready to build a $10 million facility. And I looked over at my wife and I said, this right here is the reason why this church is so blessed. Because they are taking care of the gift. And they're honoring the gift that God has given them. Have you ever given a gift to somebody and they just act like they could care less? So in your mind you think to yourself, why do I even bother? Do you think that maybe that's the way God feels? When he said, I have given you a gift. Listen, Pastor Pete is not in this for the money. He's not in this for any kind of power or prestige. He's in this because of calling. He's in this because God separated him in his mother's womb and said, I've called you for such a time as this. 
And listen, this is his assignment. And his assignment as a gift to this church is to lead you from the wilderness of sin to your destiny and promise. And I'm telling you what, it, it angers and it hurts God's feeling when we don't honor the gift. Whether you gave or not, I'm going to ask you a favor. This pastor and his wife have given, how long have you been here? Over 10 years now. How long has it been? Almost 11 years of their life. When he's out there prayer walking, he's praying. He's holding a rock. Let me tell you something. I was raised in the church. I'm a third generation preacher. Okay? When I went to plant my first church at 19 years old, I thought I had it all figured out because I had done everything in my daddy's church but be the pastor. I literally had done everything. I cleaned the church. I mowed the grass. I started ministries. I was a youth pastor. I did all this stuff. And I thought, man, I've got this whole thing figured out. Two weeks after starting my first church, I called my dad and repented. Because of two things. Number one, I realized how dumb I was. It just means ignorant of the truth. Number two, you cannot understand the spiritual weight that a pastor holds until you're there. I thought, listen to me, I was raised, my daddy started training me when, when I was eight years old, I was going to board meetings. I would sit and listen to a bunch of old men talk about business. And then when the, when the old men would leave the room, my dad would sit me down and say, this is what they did, and this is why we did it, and this is it. My dad trained me from the day I was born to be in ministry. I had a lot of knowledge and a lot of understanding. I went to Bible college and got more trained. I had all this stuff. And, it, it, and it's, it's like the Apostle Paul. You had the right person. You got the right names. You got the right training. You got all that stuff. But when I showed up, there was one thing I couldn't comprehend, and that was the spiritual weight of authority that I had to uphold. You know how hard it is to fight your battle? Imagine being responsible for hundreds. And if you remember the last time I was here, I told you something that you, I hope you got a hold of, and that is God did not call him to pastor this building or this church. He's called him to pastor this community. And that takes on a whole new weight of responsibility. And the pressure that's in a, in a pastor's life, I can't even begin to describe to you. I couldn't do it justice if I tried. One of the greatest gifts God gave to this church was your pastor. It's not because of who he is. It's not because of what name he, he holds. It's because of the office he holds. It's because of the calling of God. And let me tell you, if you're not willing to honor him, obey, be submissive, listen, I didn't say that's what the scripture says. That's unprofitable for you. Because let me tell you something, Joshua had never won the victory just by fighting the battle. He won the victory because the man of God was being withheld. Are you hearing me? That's the most important thing for your battle to be won is to uphold your pastor. Whether you gave or you didn't gave, I'm going to ask you to do something. This couple has given. I know them personally. Pete is more than just a, a pastor that I preside over. He's a good friend of mine. And I know the, the pain that he goes through, the heartache. I understand it firsthand. And I'm telling you, those guys... 
There's times in life you just need a break. Are you hearing me? If the board is here, I want you to listen carefully because I'm telling you, I'm telling you this as your apostolic father. That's the position I hold. The pastor's pastor. Remember, he gave him some to be apostles and prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers. As the apostle over this house, I'm telling you as a board, you have got to do something for your pastor and his wife to get away and relax and rest. And whether you give it to it or not, it's okay. I'm glad that you gave a card and I'm glad you gave a monetary gift if you did. But I'm here to tell you this. It's not enough. It's not enough. I want to hear about this, these two guys being sent on a cruise or a trip or something. Because you know what? That's only going to benefit you as a church. So well, what? What is them having a vacation going to do for us? Man, let me tell you something. When you're fighting the battle, it gets weary. And when you're at the top, it gets alone. And if you would send your pastor on a respite, if you'd send your pastor to a, to a time and place where they can just unhook from the ministry for just a little bit to regroup. Come on, pastor, you know what I'm talking about. Am I telling the truth? The responsibility is unbelievable. And it's relentless. It's not stuck. You don't know how many sleepless nights I've had believing God and praying over and releasing the Lord Jesus in situations and people that God has given me care of. And I want you as a church, I'm going to leave it up to the board. All the board members, raise your hand. If you're on the board of this church, raise your hand. Willis, I'm going to task you with this, brother. I don't know how, and I don't know when, and, I, and, and, and to me that doesn't matter, but what matters is I want to task you with challenging your people to do what they can to get your pastor away for a season. You guys, can you guys use a seven-day cruise just to unhook? Pete's mom from here to here. You got these lap, you got these lap his lips over his ears. Let me tell you something. For every good pastor, they have to have a good woman. My wife is my queen. And I could not do what I do without her. Are you hearing me? She makes it possible to be who I am and what I've done. She has saved my life more times than I can count. And I know that's what your pastor wife is to, to, to your pastor. Because she pastors you and she pastors him. Are you hearing me? I'm going to ask you, as an apostolic father, I'm going to task the Lord to make it happen somehow, some way. And I want everybody to take a part in it. Everybody. I'm going to take a part in it. I'm going to be the first one to sow into it because I believe in it. I believe in it that much that I'm going to sow the first seed that says, I want to see this couple get away, disconnect for a season. So they can relax, rest, regroup. Because let me tell you something, it's only going to make you better as a church. Are you hearing me? Take the hand of someone next to you right now. Come on. Let's just, let's just, if you got to scoot in, whatever you can do, grab a hold of somebody's hand right now. Father, I come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. I thank you for the privilege and honor it is to sit in this church with these great people. Because, Lord, I understand firsthand that what makes a great church is not a great pastor. It's great people who support a great pastor. Because no matter how great the pastor is, if he doesn't have great people, the church can never be great. 
So, Father, I thank you for every person that's in this place today. I thank you for the willingness to, to sit and, and to dig with me a little bit, to, to, to dig away the earth and get down to the good treasure of your word. Father, I pray that this message would not be quickly forgotten, but you would stir it in my spirit and stir it in our hearts. And I pray, Father, that we would never fail to remember this message this morning, that one of the greatest gifts that you have given to this church and one of the greatest gifts you have given to us is that spiritual leader, that pastor, who's on assignment from heaven to lead me from where I have been to my destiny and my purpose. Heavenly Father, today, as we take a special offering, as we put cards of endearment, Lord, I pray that you would impress upon the people of this church. October's Pastor Appreciation Month. But Lord, let's, let's pick another season that we can say, I want to send my pastor away and I want to let them disconnect and relax and rest so they can come back regrouped and ready to lead us to the promise. Father, just as Pastor Freeman shared earlier, if we're willing to say yes to those sacrificial giving, then that you would give back, pressed down, shaking together, running over. How many of those you cannot give God? You cannot give God. You cannot give God. Brother, the reason that that boat sat back in the back of your yard for so long it was because God was saving it up for just the time as this. And guess what? It would still be sitting there if you wouldn't have said yes. If you wouldn't have said, you know what, God, I'm going to do I don't have the money. I don't know how, but I'm going to do it. God made a way, didn't he? When we're willing to say yes, remember our faithfulness prepares us for our future assignment. When we're willing to say yes, when we're willing to engage and pull the trigger when God says go, then he goes before us. And the battle's won. Father, I thank you for Pastor Pete and Heather. Lift your hands in this direction as we pray with them right now. Father, I thank you for Pastor Pete and Pastor Heather. I thank you for their willingness to answer the call. They're not in this because of who their daddy is. They're not in this because they decided that that's what they wanted to do for a living. They're in this because of the call of God upon their life. Both of them, before they were, mom and dad even knew they were in their mother's womb. You knew them by name. You knit them together and you started preparing them for this day and for this time. Father, you have given them an assignment. And your word declares, your word declares that we as the people of God need to obey and be submissive to those who rule over us spiritually. Because if we don't, that is, that is unbeneficial for us. Father, your word also says in the book of Timothy that those who labor and work doctrine are worthy of double honor. Double honor. Listen, I didn't have any unction to say that except the Holy Spirit said, say double honor. God is saying to some of you, you need to double the honor you're going to give this week. So I don't have it right now. Listen, pledge it, give it next week, give it next month, whenever. But God is saying that those who labor and work out are worthy of double honor. We bless your name. We bless your name. Now listen, let's thank God for the word. Brother Willis, lead us out for a moment. Let's just worship the Lord for a second. Let's thank God for his word this morning. His willingness to give us truth. His willingness to set us. Listen, the Bible said you shall know the truth. And it is the truth 
that can set you free. But the power of God's word is only found in its application. Jesus looked at religious leaders and said, you made God's word of no effect by your tradition. God, listen, the power of God's word is only found in its application. I want us to praise God for the word this morning. And then I want you to start, listen, as you're praising God for the word, I want you to say, Lord, let it activate in me. Because I want to put in practice. I want to put in practice what I discovered this morning. Come on, Brother Willis, lead us out.